He is one of the stars of the Queer Eye reboot on Netflix. Together with the new Fab Five, Karamo Brown is making the audiences laugh, cry, and starting some very important conversations. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hello, I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Welcome back to Pop Culture Confidential with this week's guest, the utterly interesting and fabulous TV star and activist Karamo Brown. The original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy premiered on Bravo in 2003, a makeover show with a new premise five gay guys giving their best advice to straight men. The show and the original cast broke barriers and was a runaway hit. Now, we've come far in terms of LGBTQ rights since then, but not far enough. This is something that the new Queer Eye taps into in ways that maybe we weren't expecting from a reboot of a makeover show. Boys, you ready? The original show was fighting for tolerance. Our fight is for acceptance. Let's do this. I'm excited, like I don't know what to expect. I'd like the Fat Five to help me get out of my comfort zone. I think my dad is lonely. I want her to be excited about the new me. There's no way that that's acceptable anywhere other than, God, I don't even know where you'd wear that. <laughs> All of this only works because you were ready for it. Gay, straight, a common thread that holds every human together is that we just want to be loved. They've moved the show from New York to the South, to Georgia. The new Fab Five, who still have the same specialities grooming, cooking, fashion, design, and culture, are now making over rednecks, police officers, Trump voters, straight and gay men. And along the way, some important conversations are happening. In one episode, design guru Bobby Burke talks with a conservative Christian man about his own experiences growing up as a gay kid in a deeply religious home. And in episode three, our guest, Karamo Brown, and a white police officer openly discuss police brutality. This is not Karamo Brown's first TV gig. In 2005, he became the first openly gay black man to star in a reality TV series on MTV's The Real World, Philadelphia. But he's also worked as a social worker for 10 years. He's the founder of an HIV awareness organization, and he was invited to the Obama White House to discuss policy issues concerning LGBTQ youth. Brown, who's been a host at the Oprah Winfrey Network and on an MTV show, is now earning raves as the culture advisor and the first black Queer Eye star. Mr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very happy to be here with you. Thank you so much. So I'm one of those binge watchers, and it's been such a roller coaster. I've been crying and at the same time learning to spray, delay, and walk away. And that's how you move. It's, <laughs> it's such a roller coaster. Has it been that way for you as well? It has. What I love about what you just said about that is that original tip um, Jonathan got from the original cast right. and he decided he wanted to talk about it again, which I just love that those lessons still make sense even today, but it has been a roller coaster for us. The audience has been receiving it really well. And for me, especially where every time I hear someone says they cried through it as the person who intentionally tried to bring more emotion to the show, it makes me very happy. 
production-wise, when you're in that car in the beginning of each episode, how much do you know about the subjects that you're going to meet? Really, what what you see is what we know. They give us、um, a sheet of paper that has their name, their age, and a little bit of background information on them.、Mm-hmm. They make sure that they never give us too much information because they don't want us to have preconceived notions or to pre-plan. And then once we meet the person after we leave, you, in some of the episodes you see us say, "Do you have your plan?" And we all then at that point have to decide what we're going to do with them and what is our goal for the week. So no one ever says it has to be this outcome or you have to do this.、Mm-hmm. Everything you see is what we feel would really genuinely help the person. And who's surprised you the most, sort of at first glance? Because as viewers, some of us are like, "This guy's given up." <laughs> oh my gosh! I would say the biggest surprise would be Joe Galois. He's the one that a lot of people don't talk about that much, but、um, he was our comedian. For anyone、right. who hasn't seen the show, you'll love him. And、um, he was living in his parents' house in the room next door to them at the in, in his thirties, and was you know I don't want to say depressed because I, obviously he's never been diagnosed, but was just in a very rut in his life and. You know, I think that he was the most resistant to change,、mm-hmm. and to see him blossom on stage and with his comedy, and also not to give it away with a young lady, it was just pretty amazing. I'm excited about stepping onto that stage for the first time, like as the new me. I have a lot of faith in Joe. I think he's going to do well at his comedy set. The old Joe doesn't compare to the new Joe. The new Joe is. Light years ahead of where the old Joe was. I feel like it's my own kid, and I'm just like, you can do it. He was not the one that was sort of overly joyful、um, from the beginning. He seemed a little、not、bit cautious. <laughs> yes, very much so. So you, of course, have a completely different background from your predecessor, if I can say that, Jay.、Um, but what did you want to bring to your role as culture advisor, as opposed to the original? Yeah. So you know, Jay and I are friends, and he was、um, on Broadway. So for him, it made sense that you know, in each episode, he exposed、um, the heroes, as we like to call them, to theater. For me, that wasn't really what I wanted to do.、Um, I noticed watching, being a fan of the first show, that people didn't really dive into what was. What was really blocking these individuals from having the growth they need to have?、Mm-hmm. And for me, I realized that if they were going to actually sustain the lessons we gave them, you have to fix the inside. You have to fix the train of thought. So, with my background, I decided that I wanted to more so focus on the inside and, you know, allow them to feel as if they could accomplish and do anything. And, the, you know, the producers were very much、um, okay with me trying it, and luckily, it worked out. What about the discussions when you started, when the whole show was cast and the production team? What did they tell you about sort of the how the the new directions of where they wanted to take the show in 2018, and how much were you involved in that? I have to tell you, they didn't tell us any new direction. They、oh. told us it's the it's the where I yeah, there was no new direction. This would be the the little pat on the back with us as a fast five. That and our and our amazing producers, but we came in and we said, "This is what we're, we're going to be our authentic selves. We're going to we're going to talk about our lives. We're going to be who we are." And I think that shines through and shows,、um, you know, the growth of the show. Is that we as five as Fab Five were just so open and willing to have fun and to be emotional and to share our own lives that it just created a new direction for the show, which we were really all happy about. 
Right. And what about the change of location from New York to Atlanta?、Um, what was that like? Going from a big city like New York, or any of your audience that's listening, going going from a big city like New York, where it's multi multicultural, it is、um, fast paced. To go to the south, where it's not very multicultural, where it is very slow. I mean, there was moments we were driving to、um, make make better our heroes, and we would not see a living person for two hours. <laughs> so. It was a. It was not only a culture shock for the people we were helping, but it was a culture shock for us.、Um, but I'm thankful that we went there because right now in our in our world, we people just seem very divided, and I feel that people are not talking anymore. And so for us to go to a place that would normally not engage with five gay men and be open and go to a place where we as gay men might not have engaged ourselves, I think is what's showing the beauty of. How much we are more alike than we are different. Right. No. No. It really does. But what about?、Um, did you feel what was sort of the reception that you got spending the production time there? When we were with the families that we helped with individuals, it was always great. But walking around Georgia was hard.、Um, I there was several times that you know Jonathan and I particularly because we're like big kids and we would hold hands running down the street that. Someone would call us the F word, and I don't want to, you know, repeat that word. But it was hard. Really, just openly. Openly, 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 and、uh, there were times that I would, really, you know, confront them in a in a way that I could get them to learn. And、um, but it, it it there's still a lot of change that needs to be made. As much as we believe that things are so much better for LGBTQI people, for women, for people of color, you know, things are not. The best, but as long as we continue to have these culturally relevant conversations, I believe things will get better. Because not only, I mean, are you a group of proud,、um, you know, hardworking gay men? You're also you.、Uh, Tan is an openly Muslim gay man, I believe, and you're the first、yeah. gay man on on Queer Eye. So, I mean, this was、um, a lot. Yeah, to bring. people were shell shocked. <laughs> They were like, "What's going on here?" <laughs>、uh, you know, like. There's too much color. We're not sure if we're mad at that or how gay they are. But you know, we we took all of that in stride because、mm-hmm. we we truly believe that it's all about. You know, our theme song says, "All things keep getting better," and that's what the motto we all live by is that no matter if there's ignorance in the world, we believe it can keep getting better. Speaking of shell shock, talking about episode three, which is an incredibly strong episode、um, with you, you get. Pulled over. You're driving the car, and you get pulled over. And it seems. I mean, I genuinely think it seems that you you're really concerned.、Um, this is not a production stunt. You seem. Can you tell me a little bit about that moment and what you were feeling? Yes.、Yeah, so in that scene,、um, production had、um, organized with the the nominator of our hero that week、uh, for him to pull us over because he was a cop. And what people don't know is that in the morning times, when we would get in the cars, we as the Fab Five, we decide who's driving. We normally fight over the keys, <laughs> like brothers, because of the fact that sometimes we're driving two, three hours. So you want to drive because that's the only way you control the radio. You're awake, you know. Otherwise, you're driving for two, three hours, and you could be very exhausted at six a.m. So、um, that morning, I fought hard for the keys because I think that was one of the farthest drives we had. And I could see an apprehension on production's face, but I didn't know that there was a, you know, a fun gag 
that they had ex- were planning. And um, I think they wanted someone else to drive. Well, I know that they wanted one of the other guys to drive. Oh, wow. So that was a coincidence. That was something you did. Exactly, coincidence. And so when it happened, um, what you're seeing is real because we had no idea. I, we were upset. I was very scared. I was upset. Um, and there was even a moment when I get out the car that I pushed the police officer because <laughs> my emotions sort of take the, you know, over me. Oh, but really? I think, I think that, um, yeah, so I, you know, I, it's not a, a bad push. Like, Oh my gosh, but it's like a, a release as if like, don't ever do that while I'm smiling. Hi, how you doing? I'm officer for city of Monroe. Can I see your license, please? I don't have it. You don't have your license in your possession? No. no. Okay, why not? We're filming a show. Okay, but it's state law. You have to have your license in your possession when you're operating a vehicle. Got it. Okay. All right, hang tight one second. I'm very aware of this type of cop. Yeah. Uh-huh, me too. Oh, don't. Question yeah, is, is what we were pulled over for. Uh-huh. You mind stepping out of the vehicle for me? You're not, yeah. No, you're not. Why? 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 Because I asked you to. I don't want him too. You're shooting a show, you said? Yeah, it's called Queer Eye. What kind of show is this? We uh, make over straight guys. Make over straight guys? Yeah. Okay. Is his name Corey? Because I'm his nominator. No! Oh, you shit! Yeah, I'm happy that it happened because it allowed a conversation that I've been getting so many responses from people of all different races and cultural backgrounds who are just like, thank you for being willing to have that conversation and being willing to be open and allow him to be open. And so it's bringing to about some change. Yeah, because one of the things you mentioned, which was very, is that your own son um, did not want to get his driver's license because of fear of, of police brutality. How have you talked to him about this? You know, it's, it's an ongoing conversation for me in my household because uh, unfortunately, every single day we hear or see on the internet a new story. You know, I don't want to say that there aren't other races that have been brutalized by police, but I do believe that especially in America, there is a history of people of color being overly abused. And I, and also we're at a time right now where it's being highlighted. And so what people forget is that even though we as adults, we can like try to process and try to do the work. There are children that are watching that who are scared for themselves, scared for their lives and don't know how to navigate this world. So, you know, anytime we see that, it's it's like post-traumatic stress syndrome for my mm-hmm. children. They have to say, well, do I really want to go and deal with that in the world? And I walk them through it constantly. But the beauty of it is, is that moments like what we did on the show help them heal a little bit because it tells them that there are some police officers that aren't bad. There are some that are good. Um, and it, you know, it's a nice moment. Yeah, it was because what happens later in the episode is that you have a conversation with with a police officer on your own, just you and him in the car, um, where you seem to really get each other's point of view. But do you think that after the show that this changed him? How do you think he feels about um, things today? He actually, he and I are, are the are close friends. Mm-hmm. We've actually remained friends since the show. So that's the beauty of the show is that we talk all the time and um, I know it's changed him just the way it's changed me. And I think that's what's most important and beautiful. 
And so, um, yeah, you know, first of all, I made a lifelong friend, but I also, we've changed each other. And his influence on his friends is help changing other people, which is great. I read something that you have said that I think was really powerful. One of your heroes, as you call them, he asks a question, are, are you the man or the woman in the relationship, which seems very sort of big in mm-hmm. you. But you say, or you said in this article, I think it was, I understand the intention of this question. Do you, can you explain that? Yes, intention is so important. And especially when, if you're going to be a good listener, which is something I pride myself on, is understand the intention. Because intention informs so much, and it also can stop you from being defensive, from being closed off. Sometimes people aren't exposed to different individuals or different cultures, and they don't know how to express themselves in a way that maybe is okay for you. But it doesn't mean that their intention was wrong. And I think if we can start being a little bit more open to saying, I acknowledge your intention isn't bad. So instead of me jumping down your throat and saying, you're bad, you're horrible, I'm going to take a step back, take my ego out of it, and I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to respond in a way that it still edu- educates you, but also doesn't demean you. Because that's the problem. You know, again, when we talk about how divided we are in this country, it's because everyone wants to bark at each other. We want to hear what we want to hear and say, oh, no, you're, you're a horrible person. You're homophobic. You're racist. You're... um you're, you know, a womanizer, you're whatever, that we don't listen to the intention. Sometimes people just don't know. And I can even say this as a man of color. There's sometimes I am speaking to people and I'm thinking, hmm, I'm I'm not trying to be offensive, but I do want to kind of understand more. And I say something and I'm like, please, please don't attack me if that was the wrong way to say it. I'm, I'm truly trying to learn. And some people don't know how to express that because they're so scared that people are going to jump on them. So I just encourage people to understand the intention first before they hop on someone. Something else that people have been talking a lot about in terms of of this new reboot is the question of toxic masculinity, something that comes up a lot in the sort of national discussion as well with many horrible things happening. And and that Queer Eye, in in a way, seems a little bit of an antidote to that. And I have three boys myself. Um, What would you say is important to talk to young boys about today? Um, I would say that, first of all, is be curious. Somehow in this world, after a certain age, we tell men that they can't be curious. They can't be curious about life. They can't be um, expose themselves to new things, new fashion, to do anything, because as, it's as if they have, their sense of curiosity has to die because of their toxic masculinity. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I want them to be more cathartic and like release. You know, again, we tell young boys, um, as someone who played sports, toughen up. Don't show emotion. Don't cry. But we are complex beings, and emotion is necessary. Tears are necessary. That's why we all experience them. And so I want to just encourage people to, you know, for people who are raising young boys like you and I, to tell your boys not to toughen up, especially men telling other men um, to not toughen up anymore, not release that, because then you go into this space where they become husbands and fathers and can't express their emotions because you told them to close off at the age of 13. And now you've not only told them to shut off at the age of 13, you've also told them to put a bolt lock on it. So now they're just so scared. And I think you see that in the show. Men are just so happy that there's five men that are saying, be curious. Mm -hmm. And on top of being curious, 
it's okay for you to release. Go ahead. You can cry. And that's why people are surprised that these big masculine men are crying and sobbing with five gay men. And it's because they've never been told and given permission that it's okay. And um, I'm so happy that there's going to be young men and older men that are going to watch this, see themselves in these guys, and say, you know what? I can be curious about life, and I can be have these cathartic moments I release, not only with my family, but also by myself. Right, right. Who were mentors for you in your own life? Um. Oh, my gosh. Well, the first mentors I had in life, like, if, to be honest, I wanted... <laughs> Oh, well, you know, women inform the way, yeah, women inform my life, have always informed my life. I'm the youngest of sisters, and my mom and I are very close. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm I, always confused when someone says a woman is not the influence in their life. A woman gave us life. They sh- showed us how to breathe, walk, talk, and I'm like, yeah. your first influence should be a woman. But then, you know, from there, I had, you know, coaches. I had... um frat brothers that were very supportive who, you know, taught me how not to be in, you know, a toxic man, how taught me how to step up and be someone great. And I'm appreciative of them all. Do you feel that there's a difference now when you're on TV in 2018, as opposed to when you, you were on the real world and were the first openly gay black in, in 2005? Have things changed in your journey? Yes. Oh, hundred percent. How? People are more open to LGBTQI people. Um, you know, they're more aware. Not let me not say open. They're more aware. Mm-hmm. And so, where in two thousand and five, people were confused when they saw me as a black gay man on television. They were like, "What? What's going on here? We're not understanding. This is not compute." But now, people understand, and they're aware that we are. We, we want our respect, and we want to be seen as holistic people. And so I think that's beautiful about what's, you know, great about the show. I understand that you found out late that you had a son. Um, I think he was 10, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Um, how was that to become a father all of a sudden? Were you in the middle of your TV career? Where were you in life and, and how did this affect you? I was in the midst of a panic when that happened because I never expected that to happen. Um, you know, I went through a range of emotions, everything from happiness to sadness to confusion. And, um, it was something that I did not expect from my life, but I always tell people to be more open than you are closed because you think you have direction for your life, but you have no idea what's coming tomorrow. <laughs> you just have to be able to go with it. And so that's one of the beautiful things about, you know, what happened here. And so, um, it's going great. The kids are awesome and, you know, I love them so much. Yeah, because you adopted his brother as well, right? His half-brother. Mm-hmm, I did. Well, I was a single mom of two for a long time, so I am I know what you... Um, that That's a trip that's both... You learn everything you need to learn, but you also... There's some challenges, too. Oh, oh my gosh. Ups and downs every day. But as you know, as a parent, you never stop learning, and they never stop learning. I mean, the way that I used to parent my kids when they were younger is not the way I parent them now. And you have to cont- continuously adapt and to figure out how to make it the best. And that's the same thing for life. You got to continue to adapt and try to figure out how to make it the best. How are they feeling about this show? Um, They are very supportive and excited. This is probably the first show I've been on where they're like excited. Normally, they don't care if I'm on TV (laughs) because I'm just dad, but this is the first time that they actually care. 
Now you have a foundation that、um, you've had for for quite some time now. HIV awareness.、Um, Now, in the sort of age of Trump and everything that's happening in terms of healthcare, are you more worried, or have things,、um, you know, about what things are going to go now? I got to say, I'm more optimistic. Oh, you are. And the reason I say I'm more optimistic、mm-hmm, is because what I've learned from history is any time you have some entity that tries to push back against what's right in the world, it galvanizes everyone to want to fight. And so when I see these moments, this says to me. People are going to wake up. They're going to get ready now to say, "Enough is enough," and we're seeing it.、Mm-hmm. We're seeing protests around the world. We're seeing people,、um, you know, on social media speaking out. You know, people get to a place where they say, "Enough is enough." You cannot go against what's right in the world. So that makes me optimistic because I see this as an opportunity. You know, I always tell people, life is like a slingshot. It's sometimes you're going to get pulled all the way back, and you're getting pulled all the way back. And right when you think you can't take it anymore, you're going to soar to greatness. And that's where we are in the world. People are trying to pull us back, pull us back, pull us back, and we're going to feel like we can't take it anymore. And there's going to be a breakthrough, and we're going to soar. Oh, I'm hoping I'm holding you to that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's a promise. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and and coming back to the show. So now you have to give us the, the real scoop. Who are you concerned about? Will not keep up this great style, fashion, and 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 best self that you guys spent so much time. Are you worried about it? I, I know you won't believe this. We're not worried about any of them. We've been keeping up with all of them,、uh-huh. and they're all doing great. Oh, I'm so yeah, happy so to hear that. They're all doing great. And what about season two? Do we know anything? Fingers crossed. You know the show's been a really big hit and success. We've only had great positive feedback worldwide. Netflix is so happy, so it looks like there will be. Okay, but we don't know. <laughs> well, fingers crossed,、um, Mr. Brown. Thank you so much for taking your time、um, to talk to me today. Thank you so much. Really great speaking with you. Thank you so much to Karamo Brown. You can catch Queer Eye in its entirety on Netflix right now. And thank you so much for listening to Pop Culture Confidential. If you have a moment, please take some time to rate us on iTunes and SoundCloud. It really helps us out and helps others who are looking for this type of content to find us. And you can follow us on Twitter at Pod Pop Culture and Instagram Pop Culture Confidential dot com. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, theme music by Callboy, and produced by Renee Vikander and myself. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Thank you so much for listening. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker, and I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the How To podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. 
Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.